You're listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. Welcome everyone to the Pines Church online experience. My name is Matt Joy. I am the lead pastor here and I am so excited that you carved out 25, 30 minutes and change to study the Word of God alongside of us. For those of you that may be joining for the very first time, welcome. And I wanted to let you know that we are actually in the middle of a series on forgiveness. That is the F word that all of us need to be using a whole lot more in the church and in our world. And so forgiveness, if you've ever cracked open your Bible, is the central theme of the Gospels, of the good news. The act of forgiveness is a deliberate and conscious decision that happens deep inside of us. It means letting go of the feelings of anger, bitterness, resentment, offense, and vengeance that are holding and gripping our hearts towards someone or something that has wronged us or has been perceived to wrong us. So there's two different, there's people that have genuinely and sincerely hurt us, and there are people that are that we think have hurt us. We're not gonna talk about that today. We're gonna talk about people that have really done us dirty, that have hurt us, that have been malicious towards us. How do we respond? And in the previous weeks, which you can find on um, all streaming platforms and all um, podcast platforms. Uh, we talked about offense. We talked about letting go of bitterness, those those symptoms of harboring and holding on to unforgiveness. Because often someone will say, well, how do I know if I'm holding on to unforgiveness? And there are symptoms that we can that we can see manifested in our lives. But the book of Colossians says this about forgiveness. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. I want you to, I want to focus in on the word must. Doesn't say you should. Doesn't say it'd probably be a pretty good idea if you did. It says you must forgive others. If we claim to be a son and daughter of God, a God that has forgiven us, we in turn, must forgive others. So it's to forgive, it's to share in the divine nature of God and to walk in true freedom. I want to shine a light on another aspect of forgiveness that's part of the equation that unfortunately we don't talk about enough in the church. And to do that, I'm going to open up with Luke's gospel, the sixth chapter, the 36th verse. It says this, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you won't be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. There's so much in that text, but I want to highlight the opening statement be merciful. Again, mercy isn't a word we use that often. Um, But for me, I know that I need Christ's mercy. So I, I in turn also need to give 
mercy to others. You know, sometimes we think a person, and this is a blind spot for many, not only believers, but people all over the world. Um, We think that a person needs to earn our forgiveness. We need to see some kind of contrition, right? We refuse to give up our bitterness, our vitriol, our offense, our feelings, unless the other person makes an effort to earn our goodwill. Then we'll extend um, forgiveness. And in doing so, this gives us a built-in excuse to feel sorry for ourselves and neglect helping others because we are the victim. And as long as we harbor these feelings, we will continue to be the victim. And the danger with self-pity is that it changes the way that you see the world. John Gardner said this, Self-pity is easily the most destructive of the non-pharmaceutical narcotics. It's addictive, it gives momentary pleasure, and it separates the victim from reality. You see, when we buy into self-pity, feeling sorry for ourselves, we are literally separating ourselves from reality and we are walking in another reality. We are deceived. We believe that we're walking in the right direction when in reality we're completely off. You see, I want to make this statement and and share a viewpoint of self-pity that we don't typically see. Self-pity is nothing more than repackaged pride. Now, many people think of pride, right, as arrogance or boasting, and rightfully so. It is indeed that. However, if you take a closer look, you'll see that, that pride can take on different forms, Okay, so let's look at the traditional sense, boasting. Boasting says this, I deserve recognition, I deserve praise, I deserve attention, I deserve likes, I deserve follows because of all that I've done. I've done so much, therefore I deserve everything. Okay, self-pity on the other side of the coin says this, I deserve recognition, praise, attention, follows, likes, because I've been through so much, or so much has been heaped on me, a victim mentality. You see, it's simply repackaged pride. The results are absolutely identical. It's the same thing. It's like the keto and Atkins diet. They just have different names, but in the end, it's just cutting carbs out, okay? Well, you may say, Well, Matt, that all sounds very clinical and and scientific, but is that actually biblical? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the Bible. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, which is pretty much how I graduated high school. But Jesus, this is a familiar story. Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's sharing with them that he's going to have to go to the cross. And and Jesus is dropping all kinds of things on him. and, And the disciples are trying to like, you know, they were kind of in that, uh-huh, uh-huh, just kind of nodding their head because they really don't know what Jesus is talking about. But Peter's starting to piece things together and say, wait a minute, you're telling us that you're going to die. And so Peter steps in, okay? He's not going to let this happen. And Peter says this, far be it from you, Lord, 
that this shall ever happen to you. Do you remember that story? Like Peter just, I can imagine them like stopping and Peter like stepping in front of Jesus and saying, no, far, like really dramatic, okay? He was a fisherman, man. Like far be it from you, Lord, that this shall ever happen to you. Not on my watch, not as long as I am walking this earth. Well, in the Greek, if you take a look at it and you'll just have to take my word for it, okay? For the sake of time. It's actually better defined as far be it from you, Lord, pity yourself or have pity on yourself. You see, Satan through Peter was trying to get Jesus to pity himself, to feel sorry for himself, to feel like there's been way too much thrown on his shoulders, tempting him to potentially not go to the cross, to turn around and move in the other direction. And Jesus knew that this statement from Peter was so harmful that he rebuked Peter probably stronger than he had rebuked any of the disciples in all of Scripture. He said this, get behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan, okay? You aren't mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. We have been called to have God's perspective on this world. When we turn inward and we start to glorify self and think of ourselves too highly, this is a symptom that takes root inside of our hearts. This is why Paul warns us in Hebrews, don't feel sorry for yourselves. Now, there's some, there may be some people watching or listening that may say, but you have no idea what's been done to me. I am not telling you to deny your circumstances, but rather not be defined by them. We must recognize that those that levy ill will towards us, whether through word or through action, are under, they're deceived. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers in this dark world and against spiritual wickedness. We have to see beyond people's words and even their actions. We have to understand that the world is deceived, that they think they're right. They think they're moving in the wrong direction, but we live in the light and we see through the veil of those lies. And so we have a choice. What are we going to do in the midst of that? Meet them at their same level of anger and throw it back at them? This is why Jesus said, this is why Jesus shared this, and it must, every jaw must have dropped. He said, I say unto you, love your enemies. <laughs> Think about that. I know you've seen that you know, crocheted on some grandma's quilt. I know you've seen that walking through, you know, uh, Hobby Lobby on some plaque. But Jesus is telling us that we have to love our enemies. Not only that, he says, bless them that curse you. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you did good for someone that hated you. And it says, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So people that use you, 
people that persecute you. The Bible says we need to be praying for them. And just so you know, I'm not using some obscure uh, translation. This is the King James. This is the King Jimmy, okay? So this is these are Jesus' words to us. So the question needs, this is the question, okay? Whether you're in the church or in your workplace or with your neighbors, sure, you love Jesus. You wouldn't be listening to this or watching this if you didn't. But do you love Judas? Do you love Judas or do you simply love Jesus? Because the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have eternal life. I don't care. You can point out the most evil, diabolical human being on the face of the planet. They are one decision away from coming to Christ. I mean, where would we be without Ananias's mercy towards Paul? Paul has the Damascus experience. He's a terrorist. He's killing, murdering Christians in daylight, dragging them out from their homes. He has an encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, God taps Ananias on the shoulder and says, I want you to take this man in and I want you to pray for him. Well, if you had the opportunity, okay, to meet with the biggest proponent of tearing down the church, how would you respond? Would you look at this through man's eyes and say, we have an opportunity to totally kill this assault that's against us. But he had mercy on him and he prayed for him. See, we must choose forgiveness and mercy over judgment and unforgiveness. So I wanna take a closer look at the, the next few minutes over the word mercy. The Greek word uh, that's translated for mercy is ilio. Ilio, I'm probably butchering that, but that's how it's E-L-E-O-O. And it means this, to show kindness or concern for someone in serious need. That is mercy. But you know what? The meaning is actually stronger than the words reveal because many Greek scholars explain mercy like this. It refers to a feeling, namely the feeling of one who is moved to action by the sight of another's suffering. Go look up in the Gospels. Every time someone was healed, the Bible says that Jesus was moved by compassion. Jesus was moved by compassion. Mercy is more than a feeling of kindness and a desire to care for someone. Mercy demands more than feelings. It is action to help the helpless. Now, mercy is actually defined as, it's a noun, but the biblical definition, I want you to think of it, defines it as a verb. There is action. It's not just this lofty idea that's tossed around in church circles, confusing the heck out of everyone, absolving them from actually putting it into practice. It shows and it breaks down that if you are to be merciful, it means it's going to show up in and through your actions. Matthew 9.13 says this. Now, this is Jesus again. Now, go and learn the meaning of this scripture. And I think that's good for us to take that to heart. Let us all pursue the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. 
You see, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy extended to each other comes from God's mercy to us. You can only give what you got. And so first and foremost, you must receive the mercy of God. Luke 6, 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Dwight L. Moody said this, and this is heavy, so I hope you're sitting down. <laughs> A man does not get grace until he comes down to the ground till he sees he needs grace. When a man stoops to the dust and acknowledges that he needs mercy, then it is that the Lord will give him grace. See, grace is when we get what we don't deserve. And mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve when we're wrong, when we're out of pocket, when we've sinned against another, when we deserve hell, God sends his mercy down on us. Even though we deserve this, God extends his mercy towards us. And so to harbor this unforgiveness until the other party makes a move towards you is to withhold mercy. I'm going to close with this scripture. Hebrews 4.16 says this, Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly, fearlessly, confidently, and boldly, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy. We all need it. And find grace to help in good time for every need, for some needs, for most needs, in every single needs. Mercy is given for our failures, the sins that we've repented of. However, grace is given to us to empower us to live a holy life, a holy life where we can love the unlovable, Forgive the unforgivable. You can't do it in your own strength. And so you must receive God's grace that takes you beyond your natural ability to live a holy life that is made available to each and every single one of us. And that is why Paul is telling us in the book of Hebrews that we should fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace. I'm going to close with this. That's like the fourth time I've said that, man. I'm a preacher. I can't help it. I'm so sorry. But I really am going to close with this. Fearlessly, confidently, and boldly. When my son needs something, okay, he doesn't like beat around the bush he doesn't kind of come sheepish, like, I don't know, dad, like maybe you can give me. He comes running boldly, fearlessly, and confidently that my father is going to meet this need, okay? And that is the way I want to give you this imagery of a child. This child is so confident 
that his father's going to meet his need, that he comes in boldly, fearlessly, and confidently. That is the way that Paul is instructing us to come to the Lord, that we receive mercy and that God extends his grace to us to give us the power and the strength to love the unlovable and to forgive the unforgivable. And by doing so, you create a path of reconciliation. You create a path towards Christ. What a great salvation that God has given us. We truly lack nothing in this world. I want to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray as I shared this message that you would highlight um, any roots of self-pity or bitterness or anger or offense, that you would work alongside them to uproot those, that, Lord, they would fearlessly, confidently, and boldly approach the throne of God to receive your grace, to receive your mercy, and that they would be free to extend that mercy towards others. Lord, give them hearts of flesh. Walk them through the challenges of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for spending the last few minutes with us. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.